If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's inerrant word for us this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of, beast, of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Maybe see. Our passage divides uh, pretty simply into two sections. Uh, the first section starts in verse 16. Moreover, I saw. Chapter 4, verse 1, notice the similar language. Again, I saw. These are two observations of preacher Solomon that he presents before us that both of them have to do with justice. And the sermon, summarized in a sentence, is this. Under the sun, you will see neither justice nor compassion. This is the point of our passage. Under the sun, you will see neither justice nor compassion. Point number one. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 22, not right. That's the first thing the preacher sees. Not right. In, In other words, right, what is right, is not where it should be. That's verses 16 and 17. Right is not where it should be, but verses 18 through 22 The injustice and unrighteousness of man prove that man is not who he should be. First of all, verses 16 and 17, right is not where it should be. And I want you to consider where this passage is first being preached by the king of Jerusalem. It's called Ecclesiastes because that's that's the word koheleth or or the word preacher. This, 
this man who's writing this and making these observations is the king of Israel who gathers together in the city of Jerusalem all God's people and then preaches this sermon and right is not where it should be even there. So I want to I want to just show you the extreme. We're not talking about Babylon. That's easy enough. We're not talking about China or Russia. That may be easy for us. I want you to consider the city of David. Where David's throne is. And the location on earth where God's house is. When God's people go there, they hear this, even there is wickedness. In this place where there should be justice, coming from David's throne, in this place where there should be righteousness, coming from God's house, the temple and the priests, even there is iniquity. This should be shocking. Of course, this is the perspective that we're given here in verse 16 of being under the sun. Remember, that's code in the book of Ecclesiastes for the state of our world that is rebelling against God. And and in this kind of world, with this perspective, without regard for God, you cannot count on justice in court. And you should not be shocked by unholiness in the church. You cannot count on justice in the court because in the place of justice, even there is wickedness. I don't have to tell you that judges can be crooked. That defense attorneys are famously slimy. That even prosecutors of criminals are harsh. That jurors be prejudiced. I mean, we've, we've had this on display, haven't we, this summer? And when injustice has been witnessed, then the populace, the people who are not in power, they bring the justice, don't they? By rioting in the streets, by stealing and by killing. And if we just get back to the Bible, how many times if you read the book of Kings do you read these words that the king on God's throne did not do right in the eyes of God? You cannot count on justice in court. But also, he says, you should not be shocked by unholiness in the church. Now, let me just be clear with my language. This is obviously written before the church even really existed because this is before the time of Christ. But, but you know, back in this time, there was lots of sin in God's supposed to be holy people, even among priests like Hophni and Phinehas. But I, but I also want to clarify something for us today church, when we hear today in the news that a pastor has disqualified himself, or, or when we hear, perhaps not in the news, that a, that, a, that a member of a church has given themselves over to sin, 
We should not just repeat basically chapter 3, verse 16 and say, well, what can you do? All is vanity in this world. Because we know what the rest of the story tells us that Jesus, when He comes and He lays down His life, that He becomes the cornerstone of a new temple where righteousness is. So that we are told in Ephesians chapter 2 that the church of Christ is being grown up to be a temple that is holy. That we are being fit by the Holy Spirit when we hear His Word to, to be a place where God actually can feel welcome and live with us because we're holy. So let us remember, even as we hear the realities of life under the sun, what it says about what should be because of Christ. Redeemer Church, we are an embassy of another kingdom. We are to be the ones in this world who do right in God's eyes and not in our own. We listen to what He says. We don't just listen to what we think. We should be in our community the authority on what is right because something happens after Ecclesiastes where Christ makes a church that is better than the courts of this earth where God's will on earth is done as it is in heaven. That's the way it should be now in light of Christ. Now, I'm a, a daddy of three girls, and, and what that means is that Disney princesses figure pretty importantly into my life, and Disney songs are sung regularly in our house. There's a, a Disney special called Descendants, and I, I will shamelessly talk about Descendants today because it, it's useful to my sermon. So uh, in this show, The Descendants, uh, the story is that the, the main characters are the childrens of all the villains from the stories of, of Disney. And when you first meet these soon-to-be heroes, they are showing off how evil they are because that's where they've been raised by villains, right? And so they're, they're um, celebrating in, in this little island that they've been secluded to. They're celebrating how they steal and how they bully. And they're, they're singing this song called Welcome to My Wicked World. I want you to hear... The irony of this hospitality. Welcome to my wicked world. When you welcome someone into your world, you want to hide all that is ugly. And you want to show off what is best. And so the preacher opens up his world to us and he says, Here, look at the courts. Here, look at the holy places. And his conclusion is, welcome to my wicked world. This is your world. Now, this passage should shake your confidence if you think all I have to do to guarantee the freedoms of my country and righteous laws, what, the way that I can pursue justice, all I have to do in November is make sure the right guy and not the wrong guy gets into office. Well, I hope you've seen already, that doesn't guarantee anything. Because they may establish, put the wrong people on our highest court. I, I hope when you're 
When you're reading this passage, though, you also think that's not the only thing that's vanity. Defunding the police is vanity. The, the answer that the world would give to this problem is an under-the-sun kind of answer where all they can come up with is defund the police. All they can come up with is we need to empower the oppressed. Whoever is in power, the President of the United States, all the justices on the Supreme Court, all the police, all of your neighbors, if they were to then take those posts, and you, if you were to sit in that seat. The real problem and why this is the way it is under the sun is no one on earth is worthy of absolute trust because the powerful and the powerless are all full of sin and full of unbelief. They're deniers of God. We are all, whenever we get influenced, inclined towards self, and we are all susceptible to deception. So, what is natural when we read this is say yes and, and to start thinking of other people. But you need to save some of that outrage for yourself. You are being described here too. Just be honest. What you've done when you've gotten just a little bit of influence. What have you done when you've been looked to for righteousness? So we look at verses 17 and 18. Notice how they have the same phrase in the beginning. I said in my heart. In other words, this is the preacher's two statements of faith in light of what he's just observed in verse 16, what he's doing is he's expressing what should give you hope and what should give me hope in this world that is not the way that it should be. The preacher, who may be the most powerful man in the world, but he, this is actually not his wicked world that he's talking about. There is someone who it really belongs to, and there is good news in verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time, a time for this, a time for that, a time for weeping, a time for dancing. Well, if, if, there, if it's always just going to go in and out of suffering, is there ever going to be justice? There is a time. And there is a judge. And he will fix this. Even His Spirit-filled, Bible-obeying church will not right every wrong. And you should not expect that any Christian in office or any movement of the Spirit for all the churches will right every wrong. Do, do not expect for us to accomplish what God says only He will accomplish. God is going to be the judge at a future time. Right is not where it should be, which proves man is not who he should be. That's verses 18 through 22. The book of Ecclesiastes, this will help you with this difficult book. What, what, what I think it's doing is it's comparing life in our world, a Genesis 3 world, in comparison to life as it should be in Genesis 1 and 2. There's a lot of language like in these verses that take us back to Genesis 1 and 2. And back then, humans had an advantage over animals. We, as opposed to animals, 
could know good because we could know God and He could tell us and then we could... We, he expected us to do good. And whenever the preacher is looking into the one place on earth, here will be justice or here will be righteousness. And when he looks there and he actually just sees evil, he then moves on in verses 18 through 22 and he shocks us into seeing, you need to see just how wrong things have become. He says God's very image, humanity, is no better than brute beasts. And the proof of that is that both die. So verse 18, this is his, I said in my heart, this is his confession of faith. He's saying, God is doing this and showing the children of man this to show them that they are beasts. In other words, why is it that we can now, if we wanted to this afternoon, I, I'm not going to do it, but if you wanted to do it, you could go online and you could watch George Floyd die. Why is God letting us see that at the hands of people who are supposed to protect? Why is it that you can turn on TBN today and see Kenneth Copeland's schemes. Why does he show us injustice and unrighteousness in the places where justice and righteousness should be? This is why. It's to prove to you something. That man has fallen. We have all fallen from the exalted state. It's to make us cry out, who can save us? So he asks this question in verse 21. And I just want to clarify this question. He, what he's saying to us is, it's not like we're watching a movie where when the guy dies in the movie, you see his, this, some ghost rise up from his body and go into earth. Okay, that's what the question of verse 21 is getting at. We, no one has ever actually watched that happen because dead men tale, tell no tales. He's trying to emphasize, you're going to die. No one has observed what happens after that. There aren't eyewitnesses to this. You're going to die. And so, verse 22, the one advantage man has and something that will be repeated throughout that we've emphasized before, we will emphasize again. The only advantage that man has over beasts is that we can rejoice when we work. And we should do that. Whenever we can rejoice, we should rejoice. Because tomorrow you die. So, in this first section of Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 22. It's, it's telling you, uh, you can actually see real justice in this world under the sun. You can. You can in Graham, Texas, see real justice in this world, but it's not by going to one of the more, to, more than 40 churches. You won't see real justice there. It's not by going to City Hall. You won't see real justice there. You can go to Pioneer Cemetery. That is the realest justice you will see in Graham. It is just for us to die. That's his point. It is fitting. After he sees verse 16, he says in his heart, 
It is right that you die and I die. That our destiny is the same as the beast's. It's fitting. That's why he describes it in this way. From dust you came, to dust you will return. See how it's absolutely perfectly fitting together? You came from dust. God says, I made you from dust. And guess what? You sin against me. I'm going to turn you to dust again. They'll put you in the ground. You will decompose and be dust. And this is good news. Believe it or not, a cemetery in our small town is good news. It tells us life matters to God. That's what death actually tells us. Because life matters so much to God, He will take life if you treat life like it's not important. Your injustice and not doing what is right with the people in your life is a sin against God. And because He is not crooked, He carries out the sentence of death for all sinners. Death is just. And after death, hell, eternal damnation will be just. Because God is infinitely valuable. So listen. There is a time for judgment. We've been told, verse 17. You you don't know the time. I don't know the time. It is coming. Death is just, hell is just, if there's any heaven for us. It will have to be just as well. Under the sun, you will see neither justice nor compassion. Point number two is chapter four, verses one through three. We saw that there's not right under the sun, but here we also see there's no comfort under the sun. He, he says, look, uh, it's, better, it's, it's better for those who've already died than for those who are still alive enduring all the injustice. Who actually have injustice committed against them and they have no one to comfort them. So it's better to actually be dead and no longer have to endure all the difficulties here. It's even better for those who've never been born because they've never had to even taste them. Just how awful it is. So the preacher is making a very clear point. Only a fool would seek fullness in this life. Only a fool. You're a fool. Every time your heart is drawn to, maybe this will make me happy. Maybe this will fix things in my life. Maybe if I just get out of these circumstances, I will, my heart will be happy. No, only a fool would seek fullness under the sun because this world is wicked. And Ecclesiastes has defined wickedness in in our passage. He has said, what is deserving of death? It is being unjust. It is being unrighteous. It's it's sitting before a holy God, even though you're made in the image of God. It's it's hearing God's word and then saying, no, I'm going to do something else. You deserve to die. That's wicked. Then in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he adds another category. What is wicked? What is deserving of death? It is indifference. It is seeing someone suffering in this wicked world and not comforting them. So he says, again, I saw the oppressed 
all by themselves. This is a wicked world in this way. Because this world was created for the purpose of showing who God is. And God tells us, I am merciful. I am gracious. I love in a steadfast way. I show steadfast love to thousands and thousands. And so God says, Welcome to my wicked world where mothers kill their own children. Where men lie and when marriage gets tough they cast their wives away. Where the elderly are neglected by the very people whose diapers they change and whose tears they wipe away. Where people are repulsed by the needy and the poor and the sick. Where those who are given the privilege of power use it not to protect but to hurt. What is wrong with indifference? It it says that God is different than who He really is. No justice and no comfort under the sun. The good news is no justice and no comfort can change if someone comes from above the sun. No justice and no comfort until God came to His wicked world. And He did. The Son of God Jesus Christ was the exception to our passage. He was righteous always and the fullest sense, meaning He obeyed God every single way and opportunity that He had. And it also means, the second half of our passage, that He was compassionate to those who were suffering. And so, as we're reading the Gospels and we see that man has finally come from above the sun. He's living under the sun, unlike anyone else. We watch His perfection. We, we watch His enemies. We're not surprised as we are reading the Gospels that the Jews rise up and they consistently go against this man. So when he is in their courts, in this so-called place where righteousness before God and justice before God can happen, in the one place, the Sanhedrin, we're, we're, we're not surprised when they get it wrong, but we're hoping they pass him off to Rome. Maybe that godless man, Pilate, will be just there. But he sees no guilt in Jesus, and so we we get hopeful, and he's seeking to release Jesus. Finally, justice might happen. But he brings Jesus to the crowd that Thursday in Jerusalem, the place where righteousness is. In the week where righteousness and holiness before God should be done. Surely it's going to happen here. Pilate offers Jesus to be released or a thieving murderer who hates the crowd and, 
and we think surely they're going to do what's right. And even there, iniquity. And so Pilate has a decision. Maybe he will overrule this crowd. But he's afraid of the crowd. And so he washes his hand as if that makes him innocent. And even there, the last place of justice under the sun. There is injustice. But what was Jesus doing when he allowed them to carry him to a cross? He was correcting Ecclesiastes. He was innocent and alone, condemned, but he's the only one who can fix it. He is the righteous priest going into the only real temple and bringing justice. Because He's the only priest who can offer blood. And and He's the only lamb who can give its blood that's actually righteous before the righteous judge. The cross is there to show us God's justice so that sin can really be punished fully satisfying God's anger for our sins. And, and, and once that's done, so that righteousness and life can actually be offered all there on the cross, Jesus is working God's justice. And that is good news for everyone here and everyone in the whole world. That just as a moth is attracted to fire... That is a small picture of what we see Christ being drawn to. He's drawn to the suffering in this wicked world. The good news of the Gospel is is, is that Jesus came not because His Father forced Him. It's because compassion, what we see lacking in this wicked world, that compelled Him. He was drawn to come here. Look at what he did whenever he saw a leper and everyone ran away and he went to him and cleansed him. When he saw the prostitute that everyone hated, when he saw the tax collector that everyone hated, he is drawn to those who are suffering. But the best news is he's most drawn to, to those who are suffering because of their sin and to, to guard us from the sin, the suffering we would face forever and ever. He is drawn, compelled by compassion. And that is why every one of us should repent of our sins and trust in Him. We should be drawn to Him because He's so drawn to suffering. And so we understand from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17, I said in my heart, God will, future, judge the righteous and the wicked. We should expect then that justice and comfort will be incomplete until. The word will calls us most of all to apply this passage by waiting. Incomplete justice and incomplete comfort until we live with the Lord. So let me give you two ways that 
God would call us from our passage to wait. That the main thing we do when we look around and see a wicked world is we would wait. And the first one you may not expect, you wait by submitting to your authorities. You wait by submitting to your authorities as you heard from 1 Peter chapter 2, for this is God's will for you. The President of the United States, Governor of Texas, local authorities, Sheriff's Department, the Police Department, your pastors, in your home, your father, your husband, you should submit to authorities as to the Lord the Bible says. Because He's the one who's telling you. You are submitting to Him when you submit to them. And if you won't submit to them, you aren't submitting to Him. It is righteous to wait on the Lord by submitting. Not because the person you're submitting to is perfect. But you can have hope that Christ if, if those people in authority are actually have Christ living in them, you can be really encouraged. Because He causes the people in authority to confess sin and to turn from sin. And He's building the fruit of His own life in their life, the fruit of the Spirit. And because it is right to wait on Him by submitting now, because you believe He will repay he can change the injustice here. Not, maybe it's not in this moment, but He can do it. And He's going to answer it ultimately. But the second and primary way, I want to encourage you from our text to wait until the time when God judges the righteous and the wicked. He judges not just the wicked, He judges the righteous. The second way is by trusting Him in your suffering under the authorities by trusting Him. And here I want you to remember what we heard earlier from First Peter. And that is not just what Jesus was doing when He was being just and righteous on the cross, but how is it that Jesus, this is absolutely essential that you get this. How does the text tell us that Jesus resisted determining in those moments as He's going to the cross. How did He resist the temptation to determine, I've got to make this right. Herod didn't do it. Caiaphas didn't do it. Pilate didn't do it. They're mocking me right now. I can make this right, right now. The text told us. He resisted determining I have to make this right because he really believed God will make it right. It's explicit. I don't have to. God is going to. That's why it said, you should follow in his steps 
being mindful of God when you are suffering unjustly. Filling your mind with God. When he was reviled, I don't have to make it right. I don't have to revile. They're the ones who are hateful. I can hate them. No. He filled his mind with God and he said, God will repay each one according to his deeds. And he's told me to carry this cross. I'm not going to go away from this. When they were mocking him, he did not lie, the text says. He wasn't going to lie to get his way out, to get out of it and say, oh no, you're right. I'm not really the king of Israel. I'm not really the Messiah. You don't have to put me on this cross. He didn't do it. Why? Because he believed, I can die right now. That doesn't mean he's not going to repay. He will repay. Follow in his steps. When you are suffering unjustly under the authorities, God himself has placed over you. You need to believe this. There is something better for me than not suffering. There is something better. And that is, according to God, the world watching you suffer and seeing, oh, there must really be a God who is good. That's better than you not suffering. So, make wrongs right. Don't commit injustice and do what you can. I mean, you know, we can peacefully protest when we see injustice in our world. We can vote a certain way to start, try to guard people from injustice happening. Make wrongs right. Whenever you commit unrighteousness, you confess and you repent and you make restitution and make it right. And be a peacemaker. Come along, people, and when unrighteousness is done, and try to help them. And, and when there's indifference in the world, and you see it in yourself, no, make it right. Go, go to somebody. and Don't let them be alone whenever they're, whenever they're uh, struggling. Don't be so self-centered. Don't be so committed to leisure and ease, but enter into the hard stuff. Make wrongs right. And do that knowing that you are someone who's often so wrong. Here's the problem with us. We see all the wrong, and it's all out there. You're wrong. You will be judged. Don't be so confident you see wrong rightly. Do what you can before God, but don't sin to do it. Don't sin to do it. So you get all these videos of people mocking the police, like crowding them, acting like the police... And in some ways, they've got this pressure not to do anything. Well, they'll lose their jobs. So they taunt them and, and talk about hitting them and all this stuff. They're acting like they can't do anything. Beloved, don't, don't be doing that to God. Don't be some justice warrior sinning, blindly sinning, thinking you're working for justice as if God is not going to judge you, but he's just going to judge everyone else. Don't do it. Jesus is the answer. He is this one in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 17 who is the righteous judge. At his return, there will be a time when he comes back when every wrong will be righted. You need to persuade yourself. Your mind has to be filled with God. It says, 
Instead of reviling and instead of lying, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He was filling his mind. God is going to do it. He will repay. He, not me, will, not now, repay better than I can. He will repay. And that should persuade you whenever you're in power not to sin. He will repay. And it should encourage you whenever you're suffering not to despair. He will repay. So, when they lie to you again, the seventh time that day, He will repay. I'd better not raise my voice to And when they aggress you, when they're harsh with you, He will repay. I'm going to be kind. We wait in a wicked world by submitting to authorities that God has placed over us and by trusting Him whenever we are led to suffering. We follow Him into that injustice and we follow Him to the victory as well. One more Disney illustration. This one from Hamilton. One of the, 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 the musical Hamilton is primarily about this conflict between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. And they're very different men. And at one, one of the songs in there, it says, <clears throat> um, Alexander Hamilton says to Aaron Burr, because he never stands for anything, right? He, he doesn't, he's not a man of conviction. So he says, what do you want, Burr? What do you want? Because you don't seem to stand for anything. What does he really want? And he says, I want to be in the room where it happens. I want to be behind closed doors where all the decisions are made. In the place of justice. In the place of righteousness. I cannot be happy unless I am in the room where it happens. I wonder if you could have anything What do you want? Well, you've just heard that the real room where it happens is not one you will walk into in this life. The real room is above the sun. What do you want? I hope it's what Jesus has already given. And that is entry into that room. When he judges the righteous and the wicked and you can go into that room cleansed by his blood. And every moment until that moment, he has granted us admission into the room where it happens. We have the ear of God. What do we do in a wicked world? We wait, especially praying and talking to the one who brings justice and talking to one who can even make us righteous. I hope you're encouraged that better than becoming president is having the ear of Almighty God. And that you're encouraged to pray more and more because this world is so wicked. Under the sun, you will see neither justice nor compassion. So... 
Father, we come to you and ask you now that you would cause us to believe your perspective on this world and guard us from foolishness that seeks justice in this world and even thinks that we're the ones to bring it. Oh God, we pray that we would wait upon you and we would submit to the circumstances that you place over us. And we would do so by not sinning against you, by trusting you will repay. So I don't have to. Oh God, get glory in this world. We want that more than not suffering. And cause us to pray with faith until then. In Jesus' name.